I don't know, tonight it seems as though I felt a breeze blow beneath the tent. The preacher's already been gracious to mention our friends who are here tonight, pastors who have come, our dear brother from Catasauqua who has quite a representation with him tonight. I think it's a, an especially sweet, more than a gesture. I think it delights the Lord's when churches in close proximity encourage one another. Thank you, brother, for being here. Our preacher brother from Lebanon, brother Jack and sister Rose, I've known the both of them for years. But when my um, dear friend, one of my dearest of friends, Fred Schindler, uh, walked in the back of the auditorium, We've traveled together. How many times have you gone with me to India? Thirteen times. He was with me in the very first crusade we held together. I've oftentimes told that story of the Hindu who threatened the young man that invited him to come to the meet and told him he'd kill him if he came back. He came back. The man decided, well, uh, I need to go hear about this God. And when we heard that story, that man was sitting between me and Brother Schindler as he shared his first testimony as a newborn babe in Christ. Uh, Brother Schindler was with me uh, when we saw so many of those wonderful things uh, happen there. Uh, such a delight uh, to see him and his dear wife with us. And, These have been wonderful days, and they so quickly go by. The preacher was kind to mention the book that, yes, we had foremost written, yes, to give us something to put into the hands of the Indian people who not only just live across the sea, but live across the street. And those are available, Tales from India, Truths from Heaven. This week, we're, we're asking uh, just $5 for one of those books, or you can have 5 for $20 if you would like to distribute. It's rare that I can look through the week and be fairly confident uh, what I'm going to preach each night. That's a rare thing. And I'm not saying it's going to happen this week. But at this moment, it seems, in a glimpse, I have this strange experience that doesn't come often. But it was quite sure that we could not go far into this meeting whether it were a Bible conference, a missions conference, a family conference, or a tent meeting inside. We couldn't go long without trembling for our country, crying out on behalf of our... 
As I travel one nation, another, hearing this constant refrain, this desire, one after another, individuals have said, I hope one day to come to America. If they should have that privilege, I hope it's still the America that I remember and that they imagine. I invite you tonight to turn with me, please, in the Word of God to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. If you're able, I invite you to stand together with me, please, standing together, shall we? The previous chapter begins with a victory over the enemy. But any celebration was short-lived. After all, it's not much of a victory when you're soon hiding in the caves. The people even began to look to the Philistines that they might sharpen their instruments of cultivation, culturax, maddock. The Bible says there was no sword or spear in the hand of any of the people, except for Saul and Jonathan. I begin reading in chapter 14, verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bared his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about six hundred men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the priest knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side, and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bared his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for how you moved in the message that was preached just moments ago. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet spirit that seems to be evident among your people tonight. 
but with such gratitude. We ask, Lord, please move among us again. Please stir the embers of our heart. Lord, help us to realize not only the crisis of the hour, but the opportunity of this hour. Lord, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. The previous chapter began with a victory, but I say again, it's not much of a victory when soon the people are hiding in the caves. I notice first the spoilers. The Bible speaks of those bands in verse 17 of the 13th chapter. The spoilers who advanced beyond the ranks of the Philistine army. The spoilers who pushed the battle beyond the front lines into the interior of the country. The spoilers. Think about the incursion of the borders. I tell you tonight, that we are seeing the efforts of those bands in our day that are testing the borders from within and without. Those lines of conviction that have been drawn. I think about the incursion of the borders. I think about the infiltration of the ranks. Oftentimes, the spoilers would advance beyond that front line into the interior and at times even appear to be someone they're not. In the time of war, such infiltrators have needed to be addressed. I think of one conflict in which our country was in, perhaps it was World War II, but a suspected infiltrator being taken into custody, he was given this test to quote verbatim the words of the Star-Spangled Banner. And of course, verbatim, he quoted each word verbatim through the first verse, and then he started into the second. Soon after he started into the second, the command was given to take him into custody. After all, how many Americans do you know that know the second verse of the Star-Spangled Banner by heart? I think about the infiltrators. When I was pastoring in Dover, a lady came to me and said, Oh, preacher, I was listening to Brother so-and-so, 
on the television. If I had the opportunity, I'd use that means of ministry as well. But you better be careful of all these brother so-and-sos. She said, I can't believe what he said. I said, dear sister, I said, why should you be so surprised? I said, he never claimed to be one of us, and he certainly was not. I think about the infiltrators among the ranks. Not just John Hagee, but there are many others. For about 15 minutes, he can preach like a Baptist, and then soon enough in the message, he reveals that he's still Holiness Church of God. I think about the spoilers, the incursion of the board, the infiltration of the ranks, the intimidation of the people. You see, the spoilers entered into the land with this purpose to spread terror. There was many a young man who would have described his dream to fight on the front line but lost heart because of the terror that was wreaked at the hand of the spoilers. I know many a person in this day, in churches all across this day, who have lost heart. Many who once spoke of their willingness to go to the mission field if the Lord would call them, their longing to do that, longing to do that, and yet the spoilers coming among us have taken our heart, and few are ready to stand on the front line. I think about the spoilers. Incursion of the borders, the infiltration of the ranks, the intimidation of the people, the invasion of the harvest. Gideon was hiding the wheat from the Midianites, was he not? Don't be surprised, my friend, in the moment of harvest. That's when the spoilers begin to show themselves. I think about the intrusion into homes. The spoilers would not in full frontal assault approach the fortified cities, but they would attack one home after another through the countryside. And their tactic has not changed. The hearts of our youth are in such jeopardy because influence comes from all sides in our libraries. The LGBTQ movement has arranged for transgender reading sessions with children. Just this week, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, that Hollywood phenomena some would think her to be, said that she and her husband watched in wonder and pride 
as their son became their daughter. These influences cross the thresholds of our doors. I think of the spoilers. Would you notice tonight their path? In verse 17, the Bible says the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shul, and another company turned the way to Beth Horan. They followed that path where the very best had happened. Ophrah was that place from whence God had raised Gideon. Beth Horan was that area where Joshua in that battle, the Lord fighting on behalf of his people, Joshua gave command for the sun to stand still where it was and the moon as well. And they chased the enemy along that direction which led toward Beth And the spoilers come and they take the path where the very best has happened. I admit to you, knowing that the shadows that were to fall still find myself shocked at how quickly they come. That the voices of Muslim radicals could be lifted. in the Congress of the United States of America. And as to this critical race theory, my friend, the effort to edit our history and make attempt to even suggest the reason for our resolve in establishing a nation was to preserve a slave empire. Is to make attempt to silence the voice of God that can be heard throughout the pages of our history. His fingerprints that can be seen upon one day after another, when God intervened. I like the words of the song that describes our nation to be what it is, a heaven-rescued land. I believe in a strong military. I believe in conservative politics. But my friend, the reason we exist today 
is because the God of heaven rescued us. I think of the spoilers. They take the path where the very best had happened and they take the path where the very worst had happened. Follow their path. Ophra, Beth Horden, and another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Zeboam was one of the suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took the path with the very worst. May I say to you, dear friend, there are many in our country that would love for our metropolises to become a multiplicity of Sodom and Gomorrah's, but already they seek to make us feel as though we were living in the suburbs. I think about the spoilers, but then I think not only about the spoilers, I think secondly about the strongholds. Before David faced Goliath in the Valley of Elah, Jonathan was dealing with one stronghold after another. Thank God for those men who will not ignore the strongholds. In ancient India, there was literally numerous empires fought among one another. And when these strange foreigners came from the British Isles, they did not give much thought to their arrival because... Understanding the monsoon season, they knew the ships could only come at certain times of the year and they could only depart at certain times of the year. And it seemingly was impossible for any empire at that distance to create a strong enough convoy to sustain an assault. So many of the kings of India had no concern but they gave little thought to the strongholds that were being built by the British Empire. There are many Christians, my friend, that rejoice over the thought that it's been many a day when they've felt the heat of Satan's direct attacks, but they give little thought to the strongholds. The strongholds that are rising in our country. Yale and Harvard. Known. Not so long ago. As institutions established to prepare men for the gospel ministry. And it was only just recently at Yale. A psychiatrist was invited to speak who said, sometimes I fantasize taking a revolver and shooting the first white person that crosses my path and then walking away with a skip in my step. You say, she needs to see a psychiatrist. She claims to be a psychiatrist. At Yale, at Harvard, recently a professor said, the youth that are being reared in the homes are mentally unstable. They have this 
predisposition of a creator that exists. They have these values to which they cling. They're mentally unstable. And we must make the adjustment. Make no mistake. We're surrounded by strongholds. Some years ago, I was headed up towards Vermont to preach and could not pass Northfield, Massachusetts, could not pass Northfield without going and seeing that place where D.L. Moody had labored. I'll never forget, I went to the Welcome Center and asking for directions. I said, can you, you tell me where Mount Hermon is at? And they said, Mount Hermon, we, we're not familiar with, with Mount, Mount, uh, well, actually, actually, I asked for the place where D.L. Moody had labored. I didn't mention Hermon at the first. I said, D.L. Moody, do you know where D.L. Moody uh, labored at? Where, where was his ministry at? And they looked at me and they asked, is he still alive? I said, I kid you not. They said, is he still alive? I said, Dwight Lyman, rather, Moody. I said, there was a children's home. Oh, the children's home. I made my way there to Mount Hermon. I wanted to go see the chapel. There was a, a woman that was walking around the perimeter of the chapel. She said, can I help you? I said, I was hoping to see the chapel. She said, I can help you. She said, I am an intern to the chaplain. We're not even going to go there tonight. <laughs> so she opened the door, and I walked inside the chapel, and she started playing at the piano. She said, what do you think? Speaking of the chapel, of course, but I thought it was a good opportunity for a compliment, and I said, it's beautiful. I said, the piano playing, and I said, yes, the chapel. She said, oh, do you like the piano? I said, very much. She said, Liberace did too. He signed it for us when he was visiting with us. If you don't know the significance, thank God for your blissful ignorance, but how dare that man defile that instrument from which the praises of God had ascended. There are strongholds to be seen in all directions. Strongholds in our lives. Who will deal with the strongholds? Dare I approach and knock on the door of some of the strongholds? <laughs> oh, it is not pleasant. I heard just recently another statement that this woman made. I'd heard some time back how she said that she thought that one of her husband's greatest fantasies was a threesome with her and another certain woman. Recently, uh, looking back to her days when she was more connected with Playboy and so forth, and, and uh, she wore a little bunny outfit, and at her age, people thought it was real cute. And thinking back on her movies, she spoke of the one movie, she spoke of the other movie, and she said this, 
She said, in my movies, I think I made a better whore than I did a secretary. You say, who could you possibly be describing? Certainly not America's sweetheart. Oh, yes, Dolly Parton. There are these strongholds, my friend, that we allow. That's only one example. I could keep knocking on the doors if you like. It will not take the time. I think about the spoilers and I, I think about the strongholds, but then I think about the smiths. The Bible says that they went to the camp of the Philistines so that they could sharpen their implements of agriculture. My friend, we do not need the aid of the Philistines to sharpen our plows. I remember when I pastored my first church in South Carolina, uh, there was some disagreement this brother had with me. And he said to me, he said, I think I'm going to go visit some other churches, just see how they do things. Get some ideas. Be careful who you allow to help sharpen your plows. My friend, if we'll be faithful in the field, we will reap if we faint not. When I pastored in Dover, Delaware, there was a church just right down the road that had the, the Christian rock concerts that had these mosh pits where amidst the crowd of the teenagers that gathered before the stage, the young people would just run from one direction and another direction and just collide in the middle. They would body surf at this Christian rock concert, diving off the platform, and being carried by the waves of the hands. Oh, I knew because some of the law enforcement that attended my church had to be there night after night to keep order. In the meanwhile, we saw the power of God time and time again. I remember the day when the, the witch got right with the gun. When members of motorcycle gangs came. I'm going to tell you something, dear friend. We don't need the help of the Philistines to sharpen our plows. We sure don't need their help to sharpen our swords. The edge of this blade is not dull. It is neither rusty nor tarnished. Does it need to be updated? And yet some have looked to certain scholars. It amazes me that some have uh, adopted these clever little ideas that they think are, 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 are so interesting and, and fanciful that they see in Scripture and sometimes presenting it as a, as a new 
fresh look. And little do they know that some of these ideas of which I'm thinking at the moment came from German theologians more than a century ago. We don't need the help of the Philistines to sharpen our swords. Not that they have any desire to do so anyway. Which leads me to my next thought. We don't need reviser or editor to clarify the blessed preserved Word of God. I told you last night. They haven't clarified the text. They've diluted the truth and watered down your Christianity. I say again, the enemy has little desire to help sharpen your sword. No more than the Philistines of that day. I think of the spoilers and I, I, I think of the strongholds and I think of the smiths, but then quickly I think of the swordsmen. The Bible says that there were two that held sword or spear. One was Saul. But may I remind you that the first time Saul's sword is mentioned, another is wearing it, a shepherd boy who doesn't wear it for long. The last time his sword is mentioned, Saul is falling on it. The first time Saul's spear is mentioned, he's throwing it at somebody. That same shepherd boy. The last time it is mentioned, an Amalekite is giving his report to David of what he claims happened, and this is why I'm very suspicious of his account. The last time Saul's spear is mentioned, an Amalekite said he was leaning on it. Uh, there's a contradiction in his account in the narrative found in the text. By the way, last time Saul's spear is mentioned, an Amalekite said he was leaning on it. Look at Saul's retreat. The Bible says that he was in Michmash, but soon it's the Philistines who have taken Michmash. Look at his reproach. Verse number 14 of the 13th chapter. The Bible says that the Lord had sought a man who was after his own heart. And it wasn't Saul. Look at his repose. Verse 2 of the 14th chapter. The Bible says that Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree thinking about the symbolism of the pomegranate tree and, and, and its prevalence uh, there in the temple. And I, I, I'm sure that, that Saul had all kinds of fanciful thoughts in his head, spiritualizing the moment, no doubt. But this I would say to you, he's at a place called Gibeah, a name that literally means a hill. even after suffering defeat at the hand of the enemy, the spoilers invading the land, 
so many would say, but we've held this hill. It was at a place called Migron. Gibeah means hill, but Migron means precipice. Only a fellow like Saul can rejoice over a hill not knowing how close to the precipice he sleeps. I say only one like Saul, but I feel like I've met a few others in my day. Think about the swordsman. The Bible says only in the hand of Saul and, and Jonathan. Jonathan steps forward. May I say to you, dear friend, that if you would wield the sword, I speak not of a blade of metal. I speak of the sword of the Spirit. I speak of the Word of God, that blessed sword entrusted to our hands. God did not give you the sword to make you a scholar, but to be a warrior. And if you would wield that sword, I say to you, you cannot yield to popularity. When the victory was won in chapter 13, the Bible says in verse number 3, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines. But in verse number 4, the Bible says, And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines. Isn't that nice? Jonathan won the victory. Saul gets the honor. What does it mean anyway to enjoy a moment of fleeting popularity? We must not yield to either that or curiosity. Jonathan said to his armor bearer on one occasion, he said, we're going to go deal with the stronghold again. We're going to approach the garrison of the Philistines. We're going to discover ourselves to them. And if they say we're going to come over to where you are, then we'll hold our place. But if they say come to us, then we will take that as our cue to advance. The Bible says that the Philistines looked their direction and they said this. Come over here. we got something to show you. Devil's still using that trick, isn't it? Come on, i got something to show you. Don't you ever forget how gullible the curiosity of us all can at times be. I was just curious to try this or that. It may not be a sin. It may be a strategy. I wanted to see if this would work. But Jonathan said to his armor bearer, this is our strategy. This is our strategy. Verse 6. He said, we're going to take that as our cue to advance. In verse 6 he said, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. That's our strategy. That's our strategy. We're going to charge, and then God's going to have to rescue us. 
That's what he said. We're going to charge. And we're going to win only if God saves us. There's no restraint for the Lord to save by many or by few. And it's us. I, I, I like what Oswald J. Smith said. That great missionary statesman who pastored the church in Toronto, Canada. He said, should my church find itself in a difficult crisis, my strategy is this, to hold a missions conference and do all the more to send the gospel to the regions beyond and give even beyond our capability and wait for God to rescue us. Still a pretty good strategy. That was Jonathan's strategy. There were two that held the sword. One was beneath a pomegranate tree, but the other said to his armor bearer, we'll make our assault. God did not give you this sword to make you a scholar, but to make you a warrior. What will you do with the sword? What will you do with the sword? You say, and rightfully so. I'm with you. This is what I'm going to do with my vote. I'm with you. But what are you going to do with the sword? The Regent Diamond was one of those precious jewels found in India. Napoleon Bonaparte, he wore it on his attire at his coronation. Then he mounted it on the sheath for his sword. But then he took the diamond and actually placed it on the hilt of the sword. One of the most precious jewels in the world. The last evidence of that jewel being in the possession of Napoleon Bonaparte is in a painting from the early 1800s that depicts Napoleon Bonaparte presented there on the canvas with his beautiful sword, his ceremonial sword. Accented by the Regent Diamond. Did you catch that word? The battle sword had become the ceremonial sword. Got my book, preacher. Got my sword. But I'm afraid for many Christians, the battle sword has become the ceremonial sword. You bring it to church and it even decorates your home. 
And you have devotions, perhaps even every day, that's becoming more and more like ceremony. The battle sword has become the ceremonial sword. We can say this, that, and the other about the spoilers, about the strongholds, about the smiths. But we're confronted with this question. What are you going to do with the sword? Rise in the morning and draw it from its sheath. Go tell another soul about Christ. The sword has not lost its edge. When I pastored in Dover, Delaware, I remember that first year we fought the city to build the radio station. The attorney that we had acquired, he said, you need to approach this like you were a business pursuing your rightful liberty. I thought to myself, oh no, did we choose the wrong attorney? But the next day, or a few days later, we were walking into his office preparing for the hearing. He said, preacher, he said, forget everything I said. He said, I was thinking over this. And this man wasn't saved, but he looked at me. He said this. He said, this is a matter of religious liberty. Did you bring your Bible? <laughs> he said, when we walk into the hearing, can you step up to the table? And as you are seating, can you just place it there on the table and just slide it forward even as you are descending into the seat so that... Every eye can look at that book. Can you do that? I said, I can do that. <laughs> Let me tell you something different. The sword has not lost its edge. The first year, we were fighting the city to uh, build the radio tower. The next year, we were fighting with the witches. I did not know that they had a pagan pride day in the middle of the city. I did not know that I'd be dealing with a witch in, 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 among the youth in, in, in the church. I had no idea. But I remember when they had the pagan pride day, I told my people, I said, if the witches are going, we're going. And that day, we went down to where the witches were on pagan pride day. It's amazing how mad a gospel track will make a witch. I remember the first time I stepped on that property on Pagan Pride Day and a man cloaked in black approached me. I introduced myself. I said, I'm William Jeff, I'm the pastor of Capital Baptist Church. He said, and I am a witch. It's time for the sword. I said nothing more, but just began. And there is a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. And I hadn't finished the verse before he had made his retreat. My friend, the sword has not lost its edge. What will you do with the sword? Would you stand together with me tonight? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The invitation commences. I invite you. What will you do with the sword? Perhaps there are those who need to step out tonight, find a place to kneel and on bended knees. Perhaps you'd say in the presence of the Lord, I'm going to unsheath my sword. Some have come, are there others? Do you need to come as our brother plays softly? 
God speaks to hearts. I invite you to come. Maybe somebody tonight needs to deal with a stronghold. What stronghold is it? Oh, you don't need to tell me about it, but you ought to tell him about it. The spoilers. Do you remember the day when you felt so much fire in the heart? You were ready to charge the front line. And the spoilers intimidated you. They didn't have to make much of an effort to assault our homes. We opened the front door, turned on the TV, and let them in. But the question I ask you, what will you do with the sword, preacher?